Thank you everyone for joining me today. This is where I'm focusing on the power of reading and I decided to focus on W.E.B. Du Bois' infamous book, The Souls of Black Folk. And just to kind of give a background. And again, thank you so much for joining my podcast show. I, am, I will be broadcasting this on both of my podcasts, that's Surviving Your Journey to a Success, as well as my Michelle Anderson Short Stories and Beyond. And I'm using both platforms to just highlight this month in the United States. Mostly we'll focus on Black History Month or what have you. And also I like to focus on the power of reading because it really helped me when I was growing up and continue to do so. Literacy is very important and I wanted to kind of give back when we're focusing on that just in this country but in other places as well. So without further ado, just kind of quick background. I had got my first writing gig on Street 101 and it was for the Harlem Renaissance and that's where I was able to be introduced to Dr. Du Bois' writings. So from there, I just fell in love with it and I did like an analysis on every single one of his essays when I was releasing my column article. So I'm very humbled to have that opportunity and I will never forget that experience. I actually cried when I read his book. So anyhow, and I also did a, a feature film of his life right up to the moment when he's actually writing the manuscript for this book. So you can check that out. I'll make sure to have a link in there. Without further ado, Let's get started. You might hear some pages while I'm turning the book, but, and also I just want to say right quick what I'm going to do, because it's a long essay, <laughs> so I won't be able to read the complete essay. What I've decided to do, I'm going to do four pages, up to four pages, and that'll be a part one, and then I'll come back to it. And this week, my goal was to read a few of his essays during this whole week that I'm calling The Power of Reading this month, so I'm going to do probably two different two other essays in his book just to read them you know put some um uh, some some clarity with that with the plan and then as well just read up to four pages and and break it up in parts so the other part of me finishing or going through the, the remaining of the essay that would be announced later probably in the summertime or when i would turn back for my next season so at any rate i think we get the gist of it and to hear this beautiful writing it went supersonic <laughs> during his time and made him famous after all the other work he had done before he's an educator during that time slavery and all of that was like right on the cusp was really going away but it was still a lot of um, discrimination so he was a passionate about that he was the first black male to receive a PhD here in the United States so it's a lot of history but right now I'm going to focus on this essay and that essay is entitled of the dawn of freedom. And in his essay, he always, he has this poem, and underneath that is like a musical lyric sheet underneath. So it's very unique. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to read the poem, and then I'll start reading the essay. So let's get started. great avenger history's lessons but record when grapple in the darkness tricks old systems and the word truth forever 
on the scaffold, wrong forever on the throne. Yet that scaffold sways the future and behind the dim unknown. Standeth God within the shadow, keeping watch above his own. And it has the name Lowell. So that could be the author or just someone that actually commented or what have you. Okay. And the essay starts. Dr. W.B. Du Bois of the Dawn of Freedom. He writes, The problem of the 20th century is the problem of the color line. That's got to stop right there. I'm sorry, y'all. That statement right there, I remember when I researched about his life and about this book and everything around it, was the things that I kept seeing in the reported articles and radio about this powerful book and how he just went right to the heart of it. I'm going to read that again and I'll continue. The problem of the 20th century is the problem of the color line. The relation of the darker to the lighter races of men in Asia and Africa and America and the islands of the sea. It was a phase of this problem that caused the Civil War. And however much they who marched south and north in 1861 may have fixed on the technical points of union and local autonomy as a shibboleth all nevertheless new, as we know that the question of Negro slavery was the real cause of the conflict. Curious it was, too, how this deeper question ever forced itself to the surface, despite effort and disclaimer. No sooner had northern armies touched southern soil that this old question, nearly guised, sprang from the earth. What shall be done with Negroes? Preparatory military commands this way and that could not answer the query. The Emancipation Proclamation seemed but to broaden and intensify the difficulties and the war amendments made the Negro problems of today. It is the aim of this essay to study the period of history from 1861 to 1872 so far as it relates to the American Negro. In effort, this tale of the dawn of freedom is an account of that government of men called the Freedom Bureau. One of the most singular and interesting of the attempts made by a great nation to grapple with vast problems of race and social condition. The war has not to do with slaves, cried Congress, the president, and the nation. And yet no sooner had the armies east and west penetrated Virginia and Tennessee than fugitive slaves appeared within their lines. They came at night when the flickering campfire shone like vast unsteady stars along the black horizon, old men thin with gray and tufted hair, women with frightened eyes, dragging, whippering, hungry children, men and girls, stalwart and gaunt, a horde of starving vagabonds, homeless, helpless, pitiful, in their dark distress. Two methods of treating these newcomers seem equally logical to opposite sorts of minds. Ben Butler in Virginia quickly declared slave, property, contraband of war, and put the fugitives to work. 
while Freeman in Missouri declared the slaves free under martial law. Butler's action was approved, but Freedman's was hastily countermanded, and his successor, Halleck, H-A-L-L-E-C-K, it's spelled I see here, saw things differently. Hereafter, he commanded, no slave should be allowed to come into your lines at all. If any come without your knowledge, when owners call for them, deliver them. Such a policy was difficult to enforce. Some of the black refugees declared themselves freedmen. Others showed that their masters had deserted them. Still others were captured with forts and plantations. Evidently, too, slaves were a source of strength to the Confederacy and were being used as laborers and producers. They constitute a military resource wrote Secretary Cameron late in 1861, and being such that they should not be turned over to the enemy is to plan to discuss. So gradually, the tone of the army, chiefs change, Congress forbade the redemption of fugitives and butlers, contrabands were welcomed as military laborers. This complicated rather than solve the problem for now, the scattering fugitives became a steady stream which flowed faster as the armies marched. Then the long-headed man with care, sheltered face, who sat in the right house, saw the inevitable, emancipated the slaves of rebels. On New Year's, 1863, a month later, Congress called earnestly for the Negro soldiers whom the Act of July, 1862, had half-gorgely allowed to enlist. Thus the barriers were leveled and the deed was done. The stream of fugitives swelled to a flood and anxious army officers kept inquiring what must be done with slaves arriving almost daily. Are we to find food and shelter for women and children? It was a Pierce of Boston who pointed out the way and thus became in a sense the founder of the Freeman's Bureau. He was a firm friend of Secretary Chase and when in 1863 the care of slaves and abandoned lands developed upon the treasury officials. Pierce was specially detailed from the ranks to study the conditions. First he cared for the refugees at Fortress Monroe and then after Sherman had captured Hilton Head, Pierce was sent there to found his Port Royal experiment of making free working men out of slaves. Before his experiment was barely started, however, the problem of the fugitives had assumed such proportions that it was taken from the hands of the overburdened treasury department and given to the army officials. Already centuries of mass freedmen were forming at Fortress Monroe, Washington, New Orleans, Vicksburg, Corinth, Columbus, Kentucky, and Carroll, Illinois, as well as Port Wall. Army captains found here new and fruitful fields, superintendents of contrabands, multiplied, and some attempt at systematic work was made by enlisting the Abad body man and giving work to the others. Then came the Freedmen's Aid Societies, born of the touching appears from Pierce and from these other centuries of distress, there was American Missionary Association sprung from the Amistad and now full grown for work. The various church organizations, the National Freedmen's Relief Association, the American Freedmen's Union, the Western Freedmen's Aid Commission, and all 50 
or more active organizations which sent clothes, money, school books, and teachers southward. All they did was needed, for the destitution of the freedmen was often reported as too appalling for belief, and the situation was daily growing worse rather than better. And daily, too. It seemed more plain that this was no ordinary matter of temporary relief, but a national crisis, for here loomed a labor problem of vast dimensions. Masses of Negroes stood idle, or if they were worked sporadically, were never sure of pay, and if perchance, they perceived or received pay, squandered the new thing thoughtless. In these and other ways were camp life and the new liberty, demoralization, the freedmen. The broader economic organization thus clearly demanded sprang up here and there as accident and local conditions. Determined. Here it was to pierce Port War plan of leased plantations, and guided workmen pointed out the rough way. In Washington, the military governor, at the urgent appeal of the superintendent, opened confiscated estates to the cultivation of the fugitives, and there in the shadow of the dome gathered black farm villages. General Dix gave over estates to the freedmen of Fortress Monroe and so on. South and West, the government and benevolent societies furnished the means of cultivation, and the Negro turned again slowly to work. The systems of control thus started rapidly grew here and there into strange little governments like that of a general banks in, in Louisiana with its 90,000 black subjects, its 50,000 guided laborers, and its annual budget of $100,000 or more. It made out 4,000 payrolls a year registered all freemen and cried into grievances and, and redressed them, laid and collected taxes and established a system of public schools. So too, Colonel Eaton, the superintendent of the Tennessee and Arkansas, ruled over 100,000 freedmen, leased and cultivated 7,000 acres of cotton land and fed 10,000 purples a year in South Carolina. It was General Saxton with his deep interest in black folk. I'm go ahead and end it there. This will be part one of the Dawn of Freedom. I will post the next date that I will continue on from where I last stopped today. Hope you enjoyed this reading of one of my mentors and I just love him. I love his work. I love his commitment of Dr. W.B. Du Bois. This is 2022 that's starting to you know do this readings on my podcast. And here in the United States and I would just say worldwide, we still have those issues with the color line or let's just say the class line or anything where we're differing another human being to just accept for who we are and the deeds that we make is really the classification of who we are and how we respond to that. Not something that you're born with, right? So it's still valid today over 100 years. And I think it's it's a wonderful book to read for any type, ethnic group or what have you, to kind of get an understanding of what was going on during that time and to kind of look at, are we still doing, are we still going through that? Like when will humanity evolve? Nonetheless, it's great reading. And I enjoyed it. I hope you did too. So I'll see you in the next one. Thank you for my The Power of Reading this week.